Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, the word of the Lord comes to us saying, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today, we want to talk about how to improve family communication. Now, when we think of the perfect family, we think many times of a family that has a father that's doing what he's supposed to do, a mother doing what she's supposed to do, and children who are all at peace with one another that is the perfect family so (laughs) let me say this so much so that in this idyllic state of perfection every challenge is overcome every difficulty conquered and it is it is all done with the expression of love that is so evident it just brings tears to our eyes when you think of a family that perfect that is the perfect family. Now, that I've dealt with the perfect family. <laughs> now that we know that all of us in here today have much less than perfection. And maybe I shouldn't assume. Is there anybody here today in the perfect family? Okay, good, 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 good. I, I just want to make sure I don't assume that, that your, your family might be perfect. And, and I don't want to mess that up. But, uh, but it is important now that we realize that we have less than a perfect family to really strive, to really strive for God's standard for our family life. We must push towards that which God calls each of his family toward. That is the image and the life of Jesus Christ. Believers have the calling to imitate Christ in all things by allowing God to shape our lives. The book of Colossians talked about how we are shaped and formed in the image of Christ. And I've told you before, that's kind of like we're the clay and he's the, he's the potter. And what he does, he molds us and he shapes us into the image of Christ. Now, one of the most important steps in building a gospel-centered Christ foundation for your family is the practice of communication that pleases God. Now, 
get personal here for a minute. In all of my years of experience as a father, a husband, and a believer, I can confess to you that most of my failures in each of those areas stem from poor communication. In fact, if you feel that your family communication needs improvement, I would suggest that it is possible that you do not have a positive communication technique with anyone in your life. Oh, it's getting quiet now. For example, if you communicate from a position that ties your self-esteem to every conversation or criticism at home, it is likely that you do the same thing with every relationship in your life. So in other words, if your spouse can't say a word of criticism constructively to you without you flying off the handle, getting mad, getting ready to get a divorce and all this kind of stuff, then I would dare say that you don't take criticism well anywhere. I would dare say that when it comes time for your work evaluation, you got attitude as soon as you hit work that day. They better not tell me I don't, I don't do well here. I'm going to turn some things out in this place today. <laughs> so, your, so your communication, if it's not well at home, it may not be well anywhere in your life. But however, as, as believers, God calls us to a different standard, one that is not wrapped in a cloak of self-defense every time we open our mouths to speak. But he calls us to a standard clothed in grace, mercy, and a redemptive heart of Christ in our lives. Now, this is easier said than done. Let me, let me help you understand that. I understand because I understand some of y'all looking at me like now, like, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> you, want, you want me to have the redemptive heart of Christ? You don't know who I'm married to, do you? <laughs> so, so, so understand, understand that, yes, it seems easier to say than to do, but we're here today to kind of help us travel this path and get this thing right when it comes to a a good communication paradigm in your family so in this chapter paul talks about it kind of like this in the he begins in the 17th verse he says now i say this and i testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do now i i'm i'm raising that before we really get into this family thing because i want you to know that your conversion in christ your your change in christ has to have an effect on every area of your life if you got saved just to have fire insurance against hell this verse is for you right here <laughs> So in other words, we're called not to walk as the Gentiles do. Now, now some of you say, well, how do the Gentiles walk? Well, Paul, Paul must have been thinking about you when he wrote this. He says, he says, they walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They just don't know. And that's due to the hardness 
of their own heart. Now understand this. It's not, they're not ignorant or they're not unknowing because somehow God is trying to hide his word from them. They just have a hard heart. And hard hearts are, are very difficult to penetrate. So he says, he says in verse 19, watch this now. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, some of us remember how we were before we got saved. Amen? Well, you don't have to say anything, but just throw your hand up real fast. If you know, if you had some, you had some issues before you got saved, you know. And we, 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 we think about what our lives were like and how we were giving ourselves over only to that which pleased us. We were the most important thing in our world. And everything we did was about our own ideals, our own flesh, our own desires. And we messed up some good people along the way. Oh, you might as well say amen right there. We messed up some good, good people because we were so incredibly selfish that we all we could think about is what we wanted and when we wanted it. And this is exactly what Paul says, that they were greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But look at verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. In other words, as a Christian, you ought not live the same way you live when you were a unsaved person. You know what unsaved people's biggest problem with the church is? They don't see any difference in our lives. See, you've got unsaved people that knew you before you were saved. And they knew what kind of person you were. And then you came one day and said, oh, I've met Jesus. I've, I've, I've now become a Christian. And at the first sign of trouble, you act the same way you did before you got saved. Hmm? And they're saying, what's the difference? What is the difference? We must, we must be careful not to live our lives in such a way that we look like no transformation has taken place. That is, that is where God is calling us today. That is what's needed in God's family. Now, therefore, it is abundantly clear that our Heavenly Father has no desire to see us walking in the path of our former lives. This means we must abandon our former methods of communicating and embrace a new way of speaking and communicating that honors Christ as Lord of our lives. What is your old way of communicating? Are you one of the eye roll people? Somebody say something you don't like, you just... You know, sometimes we do good communication without words. Are you a neck roll and a hip jerk person? Huh? <laughs> I mean, that neck be hand on the hip. Is that you? Is that how you communicate? Or are you one of those persons where you should have a network sensor just follow you around with one of those beeping buttons? <laughs> because everything you say needs to be beeped out. Every other word, doot. Is that how you communicate? <laughs> I'll let that marinate for just a minute. <laughs> See, 
See, it, it is likely that if you have negative and destructive communication habits, watch this now, you learn them in your family. Your parents did not do it on purpose in most cases. But you learned what you saw and your children will learn what they see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if yelling and fighting was your family paradigm, it's likely that you became a shouter and a fighter. It's likely that that's how you dealt with stress or difficult situations. You become what you've seen, what you've learned, what you grew up with. Do I have a witness? Some of y'all sitting there looking at me, don't be talking about my mama and daddy. I... <laughs> you don't know my folks. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you that that's, that's, that's the difficulty that we have. And it is here where we need a path away from negative and destructive communication and a pathway toward communication that pleases God. Therefore, I'm going to give you today four standards, four standards of communication that are found right here in Ephesians 25 through 32. Four standards of communication. Watch this. The first standard of communication that we need to set in our lives is to be honest. Everybody say, be honest. Be honest. Look at what Paul says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul tells the Ephesians to put away falsehood or for those of us who want to just, just break it down, don't lie. Put away lying. And essentially, he tells them to make truth the standard of their communication. Now, lying is never, ever good. There's no such thing as the little white lie. There's no, see, Forrest Gump got some of y'all messed up. He said, Mama said it's okay, just tell this little white lie. No, it's not okay. Let me tell you a story from my, especially for the young people here today because you all are, are dealing with some of the same stuff that I had to deal with. It's funny how the more things change, the more they stay the same. Here's what, here's what happened to me. Eighth grade, eighth grade, doing pretty good in school. I knew that my report card was going to have six A's and an F. How do you explain an F with six A's? I mean, six A's. Now, it wasn't gym class. It was, I was going to get an F in math. Now, let me tell you why I was going to get an F in math. When you go through school thinking you somebody, there's always one teacher to remind you that the teacher is more somebody than you are. And so I had a teacher that, that I was making a 90 average in her class. 
And I said, and the next day we were going to have a test. So, you know, being Mr. trying to be Mr. Suave and cool and, you know, popular with the little young ladies, you know, I said to a young lady, I said, hey, um, tell you what I need you to do. Now, I wasn't talking like that then, but I, <laughs> I almost went into Barry White, kids. I just, <laughs> I said, tell you what I need you to do. I need you, I need you to, I need you to take my protractor and keep it in your locker. It's right near the class and, and uh, just bring it tomorrow for the test for me, you know. She's like, okay. I was like, all right, that worked. <laughs> Next day, she's absent. You cannot do a geometry test without a protractor. <laughs> I, had, I had to have a protractor. And so, and so I'm doing this. I'm, I'm sitting there, and I go up to the teacher, and I say, hey, look, Diane has my protractor absent, and the teacher has her drawer open, and it must have been a 1,000 protractors in the drawer. And I said, I, I just need one to do the test. I'm confident. I, I've studied. I know I can handle this. I got a 90 in your class. And she says, no, you can't have one. So she took that F on that test, averaged it against everything I had done, and I ended up with a 58, which a 60 was passing. So I said, I said, hey, can I do, can I do anything, catch up on homework to get two points? Because I'm thinking to myself, my mother's a teacher. I cannot go home with six A's and an F. And she says, well, do all your homework you missed for the whole quarter. I went home that night, and I must have did 15 or 20 homework assignments. <laughs> and so she brought them back the next day. I'm like, okay, I know that's worth at least two points. A D is better than an F. She gave me an F anyway. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm getting to the, I tell you all that to tell you why lying is never good. I told you my mother was a teacher, right? In the same school system. So when report cards came out, my mother asked me, did you get your report card today? Uh, No. She said, well, did they pass them out? Everybody else got theirs. <laughs> so you can see how this is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So my mother played along with it. I said, okay, next day, did you get your report card? I don't know. They must, this, the computer must have had an error. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I, mean, I got this whole story concocted the whole time. And this is for you young people so you know. Your parents know every hiding place you think you have at the house every one of them I mean you think you got a place where only you and the Lord know <laughs> your mother and father know every hiding place and I was so dumb I, I hid my report card underneath my games my board games and I'm thinking now as a parent that's probably the first place I would look and so I come home the next day and the report card's on the table Lying never works out. My parents' heart was more broken over the lie that I told than the F that I got. And so I'm telling you that it's never good. It's never good to lie. So Paul says, put away all falsehood. He picks up the theme of truth from verse 16 or 15 where he says, speak the truth in love. Truth is the foundation of Christ-centered communication. God calls us to speak the truth even when it is painful. But watch this now because something you're going to leave here today 
And you think it's a license to just start telling people what you think any kind of way. He says, speak the truth in love. And I'm so glad he added that. He says, speak the truth in love. You want to do so. You don't want to be in a situation where, where you go home today and you tell your spouse, that is absolutely the ugliest hairdo I ever seen in my life. That's not in love. That's not in love. And for all you brothers in here right now, married men, give you a little veteran help right now. If your wife asks you, does this look all right? Say yes. Find something about it so you're not lying. <laughs> you like the color. <laughs> if you don't like nothing but the fabric, girl, is, is that 100% wool? That is a wool. That's 100%. Look at you, girl, that wool. You wearing that wool, girl. I'm just <laughs> Find something. <laughs> so I, I don't want you to lie, so you can find something that you like about it. Now, this is, now, I know this is easier said than done, but, but notice the last part of this verse. The last part of this verse says, for we are all members, for we are all members of one body. Lying to your family or other believers is like lying to yourself. Now, generally, no part of your body lies to you. If you drop a bowling ball on your foot, your foot's not going to say, that don't hurt. it's going to send you a message right away that you got pain because you dropped a bowling ball on me. It's not going to lie to you. So no part of the body lies. And so we got we to realize that we, we can't lie. So the fundamental place to begin in communication is to be honest. Now that doesn't mean, you know, like I said, go home and just tell everything you know. Just, just you know, we're to wrap our honesty in love. We place the heart of the other person ahead of our own. Honesty and love is the first standard towards Christ-centered and Christ-honoring communication. We do it in love. We're honest with each other. Now, the second, the second standard I want to share with you today is don't take hostages. Everybody say, don't take hostages. Keep short accounts. Don't take hostages. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, Paul says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Watch this now. Anger. Just think of that word, anger. That, that word just sounds angry. Anger, anger. How many marriages, family relationships, and friendships have ended because we do not know how to correctly process our anger? How many words were said or deeds done in fits of anger that we wish we could take back, but we cannot? I suggest to you today that the absence of a clear means to handle anger in a Christ context could be the source of most trouble in families today. Why? Because people are sinners and they disappoint you. 
How many people have ever been disappointed by somebody? Just throw your hand up real quick. Yep. See, people are sinners. They disappoint you. Remember what disappointment is. The definition of disappointment is unmet expectations. You have certain expectations they didn't get met. You're going to be disappointed. So how do you handle disappointment? Disappointment that that's, that's not handled correctly can easily morph and turn into rage and anger. And you, you want to be recognized for your feelings. And yet you're not being recognized. So it makes you even more angry. Now, men, we always ask this question. Is something wrong? Now, if, now, brothers, join me in this. If, if, if we have to ask that question, we already know. <laughs> we, we already know there's trouble in the water, don't we? <laughs> we already know. If you have to, because you can tell by the way your spouse is responding. Is some, of course something's wrong. Of course it is. And, and what we need to do is make sure we find a way to, to manage this thing before it becomes explosive. People will disappoint you. People will let you down. People like yourself, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And because we're all sinners, we have the, not only the likelihood or the capacity, but the likelihood to sin. We will let you down. The apostle calls us in this verse to understand the difference between destructive anger and righteous indignation. For most of us, it's far easier to become angry and declare that I'll never deal with you again. It becomes easier to just say, I'm not going to be bothered with you. You've upset me and I'm going to take a hostage right now. I'm going to make sure that you know just how angry I am. And if, you don't, if I don't think you're suffering enough, I'm going to turn up the heat and increase your suffering because you've got to pay for what you've done to me. Oh, oh, come on here. That is the way of the world. There's a different way for God's people and, and, and in marriage you know we simply make note of failure in our spouse and take hostage and use it as a bargaining chip for the future now if you're one of those people that never forgets anything I mean you know, you're, you know just like back in 1985 I knew when I first met you 20 years ago you know, you are, you, you have to stand, you, you're a hostage taker. You hold somebody hostage to something they've done. And sometimes we even do it to people before they even got saved. When I know you was a womanizer before you met Jesus. And we hold people hostage to things that have happened long ago. And if something even remotely looks like it's not right, we bring that bargaining chip out. And we use it as a weapon against the people we say we love. So, so Paul says here, be angry, but do not sin. Now understand, this doesn't mean that you ought not let sin bother you. Are you hearing me today? 
But you have to understand the difference between righteous indignation over sin and and out of control rage and anger. We ought to be bothered by sin and the source of sin is who? It's Satan. And somewhere in the life of the person we love, Satan has taken hold of them. And so our anger ought to be really to say, yes, you, you may have wounded me, but I understand that this is not just you. This is also how you've yielded yourself to the enemy. And we have to understand that as we, as we relate to one another in our faith. So be angry and do not sin. And so, in, you know, we use excuses too many times for our anger. Some of us of you say things like, I just need to blow off a little steam. Hmm? Is that you? you? You one of those blow off a of steam people? And what you fail to recognize is that while you're blowing off steam, let's just think about the qualities of steam. Steam is a result from heat at 212 degrees on water. Water becomes vapor at 212 degrees. It produces steam. And steam can leave burns and scars on those who are around you. So here, while you're letting off steam, you're wounding the ones you say you love. Paul tells us not to sin in our anger. Do not fall below God's standard. If your anger is of such that going off will make you feel better but mess up everybody else, you've fallen below God's standard. If your anger is such that you have to make sure that the person that you are angry with is so contrite that they have to meet your standard of sorrow. Now watch this. If someone says to you, I'm sorry, and if you want those persons to say, you're not sorry. <laughs> I, I know you're not, you're not sorry. I, I, I can tell you're not sorry. Think about what that means. Think about how, how do you see into the heart of a person? At what point do you, do you say, I've taken enough of you to know that you're really sorry. At what point do you do that? I'm telling you today that that's one of the problems in relationships. We are not quick to forgive. It's some people in here today getting convicted right now on this very point. You've got relationships and friends you haven't spoken to in a long time because they hurt your feelings or you're not as close as you used to be. Because they hurt your feelings. Even if what they told you was the truth, you didn't like the fact that they had the audacity to tell you. Huh? <laughs> and, so you and so you have drawn a line and said, you've crossed the line and I'm never going to relate to you the same way again. And I'm telling you that that type of communication is not of God. How can we be so slow to forgive those of us who've been forgiven so much? Oh, this is lonely right now, boy. <laughs> but watch this, watch this. He says, it does not mean that you're not bothered, but you're willing 
to do what I call a Jesus move. Everybody say Jesus move, Jesus move. Here's a Jesus move. Here's where where your Jesus move is in this anger thing. The Jesus move is to put myself in the place of the one who sinned against me. That is a Jesus move. And many of our relationships would be better if we did more Jesus moves. If we said for a minute, here's a sinner that deserves my wrath, that deserves my anger, but instead of giving them wrath and anger, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to give them grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's a Jesus move. How many relationships would be better if we learned how to do that? See, and, and if we fail to make that Jesus move. We give Satan a great opportunity to use our anger to destroy that which took often years to build. You know, you can mess up a good marriage in one fit of anger that's uncontrolled. You can mess up a good friendship because you chose to try to hold someone's sin against them to the point that you are wounding them and placing yourself on this pedestal like you've never done anything wrong. There's a difference between being right in this instance and being right. Uh-huh. There's some things you might be right in right now, but but you've been wrong before. Do I have a witness here? Huh? And before you before you get so high and mighty against the one that has hurt your feelings, remember how many feelings you have hurt in your life. That's that's what you got to do. So so you don't want to give Satan the opportunity to destroy what is good. Now, here's the third thing. The third standard is fix the problem and don't attack the person. Fix the problem. In our communication, too many times, we talk about each other. We talk about each other. Well, you you don't do this. Well, you don't do it either. You don't do that. Well, neither do you. Well, you know, you hard-headed. Well, so are you. You don't listen. You don't listen either. Oh, I'm coming by somebody's street right now, right? (laughs) You don't love me. You don't love me either. (laughs) You're not paying attention to the pastor. Well, neither are you. Look at what Paul says in verse 29. Go to verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion. See, all too often in communicating, we talk about the faults of others rather than addressing the problems at hand. Watch this now. After setting those who steal in order, he did that in verse 28, Paul now turns his attention to those who speak corruptly. Now, the Greek word for corrupt means rotten. 
It expresses that which is of poor quality, unfit for use. It's like a rotten piece of fruit. I don't care how good that fruit looked before. Once it becomes rotten and putrid and, and, and infected or whatever, it's no good. And some of our communication is just like that. Every time we get upset, we spew corrupt communication. And this is not how God intends for his children to communicate. He doesn't want your communication to be corrupt. He doesn't want it to be rotten. He doesn't want, listen, if you're a cusser, I know you think that because that person stayed with you, that they are right with your cussing. Some of y'all ain't cussers. Y'all don't get this, but. But there's some of us that talk so ill to the people we love. We get angry and we let anything come out. You know, we, we get angry and we, you know, first thing we well, you can get out. Hit the bricks, kick rocks, go. Get out of here. You're no good, so-and-so. You better be glad I gave you a chance anyway. I'm just... And those words, they sting. They're hurtful. And then we got nerve to say, well, you shouldn't have made me mad. You know how I get. <laughs> you know how I am. If you, if you just would have took the garbage out when I told you to take it out, we, we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> Watch this now. Corrupt communication destroys. Just like you wouldn't eat rotten meat, you wouldn't want to speak those words into somebody's life because it makes them ill. You're saying things that are hurtful. That, and listen, men, let me help you understand something. I, I need to talk to my men here just for a minute because we don't understand the female heart like we think we do. We don't understand the wounding that we give to a woman when we say things that are corrupt in our communication. We don't understand that when we say stuff like, hey, I tell you what, if you leave, I have somebody take your place. What kind of wounding? The woman's heart is a precious, precious thing. She is strong. She's stronger than she knows. But it's hard for her to then open her heart up and say to you as a husband that, that I am going to receive you as my husband and enjoy the fruits of that relationship because you now have wounded her. And so you come in the door thinking everything's all right. And first thing out of my mouth, like I said earlier, is something wrong? <laughs> Absolutely it is. You've, you've wounded her. Now, now, women, let me tell you something. The disrespect you give to your husband wounds him. When you don't respect him. A man, I told you last week, a man's greatest need is respect. And, and if, you, if you understand how to respect him. You don't have to always agree with him. 
And I know you don't. Come on here, somebody. Sometimes we're hard to get along with, ladies. We're hard to agree with. But you don't want to let disrespect come out of your mouth. Because once you disrespect him, he can't hear anything else you're saying. So, so our communication, one to another. Listen, I'm telling you what God is saying. And I'm telling you that in every marriage, including mine, this is a challenge. It's a challenge to speak to each other in such a way that's loving and godly. Because sometimes people just get on your nerves, don't they? (laughs) Sometimes you are so in awe of how dumb that looked. You begin to wonder, have aliens invaded their body and... And do, how could you ever do something like that? <laughs> See, my wife had to start paying the bills in the house because I'm the one that walks around in my coat pocket with the bill till it's late. That's, I, I just didn't think about it. Did you pay the water bill? Oh, man. Here it is right here. I got <laughs> well, I realize that that's my weakness. And my wife knows bills like she invented them. (laughs) I say, Lord, you gave me somebody. I should never have a late payment. All I need to do is give her the money. (laughs) And men, you know how we are about giving up that money, ain't it? (laughs) But see, your communication should never be corrupting. It should be respectful and loving. Because Paul says this, the only kind of communication you should have in your house is the the last part of that verse. He says, but only such as is good for building up. Are you building up the people in your family with the words that you speak? Parents, let me help you here. You don't have stupid children. You don't have dumb children. You don't have crazy children. And you better stop calling your children bad. First of all, that's just, that's just, look, we all come here bad. How many of us had to teach our children how to lie? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? They automatically know that. Because we're all sinners in need of saving. And so, and so you don't, you keep like, oh, that bad child of mine, that bad kid, or that kid. Uh, and, and then when they end up in the penitentiary, you down here at the altar crying. Oh, I don't know what went wrong. You labeled them their whole life. You called them bad. You made them think that they could never be good. You they made them think that everything they did wrong was so incredibly uh, uh, earth-shattering that there's no way they could do anything good. And so you know what they said? Well, if I'm going to be bad, I might as well be all the way. You don't have you have to stop using those terms. That kind of communication. And I know children frustrate you. I know they do. I know they frustrate you. And, I, you know, I, I have four uh, grown children. 
And my oldest is here today, and sometimes I'm frustrated. But I'm going to tell you something. You never, ever label them. You speak love and truth and what is good and life-giving into their lives. What is Christ-honoring into their lives? You tell the truth about your failure. Be honest with your children. Don't make them think you were the perfect child. Oh, my mother never had a worry with me. Go talk to your mama's pastor. (laughs) You'll find out just how much worry she had with you. (laughs) So, So we understand no corrupt communication should come out, but only that which is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't work on people. Work on the problem. If you have a problem in your relationship with two sinners saved by grace, the problem is not necessarily the sinners. It's the, have we given opportunity to the devil? Have we given Satan an opportunity in our lives? So how do you answer that? You be honest and you begin to pray with one another and say, Lord, is there something in us, in our relationship that is not honoring you? And you be honest about that. Now, I know men, and I'm going to move on here, but I know men, we don't like to be told what to do. But let me help you understand something. In the Song of Solomon, the Bible talks about the man, the Shulamite woman, and she asks the question, or he, he tells her without her even asking, if you want to find me, I'll be at the shepherd's tent. You don't have to look for me. I'm telling you where I'm going. I'm telling you where I'm going to be. And if you just so happen to walk down to the shepherd's tent, I'll be right there, honey. See, men, we need to understand that it's important for our women that we say to them where we're going to be. It's not being henpecked. It's being a good leader. Don't be asking me where I'm going. That's what some of y'all out there. Don't tell me where I'm going. Ask me where I'm going. I'm going wherever I want to go. So you will get what you get, brother. When you come home, you're going to wish you hadn't. And there might come a day, but for the grace of God, that you walk up to that door and the lock been chained. So you're living in grace right now. Understand, as a good leader, you always, I tell my wife, wherever I'm going, hey, this is where I'm going to be. Why? Not because I necessarily want to do that, but I know that's my flesh, my pride talking. How's she going to ask me where I'm going? Girl, where you going? <laughs> but I understand that as her husband, there may be a need that she had to find me. And if she needs to get in touch with me, then I want to be able to know where to look. Plus, if one of y'all do something to me, I don't know who to... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) My wife got to know who to prosecute. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
Last thing. Last thing. Last thing. I, here's the last, last standard. And I want to give you a few things to take home with you today. Be proactive and not reactive. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here are six things that you should not do. Six reactions we have in our communication. We become bitter. Put away bitterness. Negative and ornery actions. Just bitter. Number two, get rid of rage. The Greek word there is thumos. And it really, it really is where we get the, the word thermostat from. You know what happens when I rage? The, t- the temperature gets turned up. Okay? So you get impassioned rage, the kind that wells up too hot-headed. You fly off the handle. Then there's, there's anger. Get rid of anger, a settled anger, a grudge. Rage plus time equals anger. Then get rid of brawling or clamor. See, see, brawling and clamor is the loud assertion of the angry man who makes everyone hear his grievance. Some people are just so angry they got to tell everybody. You know, you, you might work with a few people like that. They get to work on, and the next day, and they'll, they'll be like, let me tell you what happened, what I, what's wrong with it. You know, I, that's anger and brawling and clamor. Get rid of slander. The Greek words, for it's blas- it means blaspheme. Abusive language against someone, normally behind their back. Some of you may say, I'm not slandering. I just call it like I see. Huh? D. James Kennedy said this. He said, he said you know, people always say, I call a spade a spade. So they're always talking about other folks' spades, though. <laughs> they never talk about their own. Always see that in other people. The slander, re- slander rarely slanders themselves. It's always somebody else. That person's a coward because he's afraid or, or unwilling to go to the person. Don't let people use you that way. It wouldn't look like I got a problem with my wife and I'm always talking to Murphy. Murphy, you know about that gal right there? Let me tell you what she did to me. That makes no sense. You're slandering. Now, put away malice. Malice is an umbrella term for any words or emotions that do not build the other person up. Here's what you do. So you don't react. You be proactive. Here's the proactive things to do. First of all, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Kindness means virtuous or good. How is this reflected in your conversation when a discussion of someone's faults are pointed out? The kind-hearted person, if possible, seeks to balance the comments with their good qualities. You don't always talk about somebody's negative qualities. You know, if your husband snores, baby, you snore. But at least you wake up in the morning. <laughs> you, you keep waking up. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> so, so that's you put some kindness in there. Now you kept me up all night long. At least you're still alive. I know you're living when you're snoring. That's 
Be compassionate and tenderhearted. Affected deeply within by the struggles of others. Your compassion is how other people's struggles affect your life. Compassionate people feel the struggles of others. They're, they feel it down on the inside and they don't ever want people to hurt. Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says he looked out over the multitude and his heart was filled with compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Don't look down on those individuals who have sin in their lives because let me tell you something, but for the grace of God, that could be you. Be compassionate to them. Love them. They may not do everything you like or you want, but understand how Christ saved you. Finally, forgiveness. This is a tough thing for our relationships and communication to communicate forgiveness. You don't want to communicate forgiveness in such a way that you take a hostage. You know, you say things like, well, you know, I forgive you. But be real in your forgiveness. Be genuine. Tell the truth that you are a sinner as well. Love someone enough to forgive them. Let me tell you something. For all you who are holding unforgiveness in your heart today, it's not hurting the person you don't forgive. It's destroying you. It's messing with you. You got people you haven't forgiven, and if you see them, it messes you up. They're going on about their lives. Forgiveness is for the, uh, the one who has been sinned against. Repentance is for the sinner. Forgiveness sets you free. Repentance sets the sinner free. They're not the same dynamic. And so you got to forgive. Forgive one another quickly. Quickly. Listen, I'm going to say this. The enemy has come against marriages and relationships. And he's going to keep trying to destroy your marriage, your relationships, your family life. He's going to keep doing it. And you have to quickly forgive, quickly restore, quickly get back. Understand how this is. Don't give him a foothold. Because I'll tell you something. If you hold something too long against somebody, they lose heart. They think they can't do anything right. Now, you might, that might sound immature, but let me tell you something. Hold something against somebody. You know how you felt when people hold things against you too long. What can I do? And you give the enemy opportunity in your relationship, and you don't want to do that. So I say to you today that as God forgive you, you forgive one another. Come on, let's give God some praise today.